Escape Pod. 406. July 25th, 2013. Freya in the Sunlight. By Gregory Norman Bossert. Welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm your editor, Norm Sherman. This week we bring you Freya in the Sunlight by Gregory Norman Bossert. Mr. Bossert grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and currently lives across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. In between, he's lived and worked from Lisbon to Berlin and New Jersey to Silicon Valley. He started writing in 2009 on a dare over pizza and beer, and attended the 2010 Clarion Writers' Workshop. Recent publications include Asimov Science Fiction, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and Kaleidotrope. He works in the film industry, currently at Industrial Light and Magic. More information on his writing, films, and music available at SuddenSound.com and on his blog, GregoryNormanBossert.com. Greg says that one of the inspirations for Freya was visiting a cruise missile assembly line some years ago. Many of the workers there, he says, were retired seamstresses who were extremely deft with all the tiny wires. They were chatting as they worked, for all the world like a quilting circle, and the incongruity of a weapon of mass destruction being lovingly crafted stuck with him. Eventually that image collided with the thought, who actually believes the average corporate marketing blather? and Freya was born. This story was originally published in Asimov Science Fiction, December 2010. So get your blankets and lawn chairs ready for the show, folks, because it's story time. Freya in the Sunlight by Gregory Norman Bossert Freya is beautiful, and she knows it. Richard Wooten says so at 047. Wisps and curls whip overhead, limed blue by starlight. The fog ceiling is lowering, the top tattered by the offshore wind. She drops another three meters, switches on ultrasonics. There are patches of trees here, unmarked obstacles up to thirty meters, the map says. And she is skimming just twenty meters above the ground. The woods show up as ghostly towers in the sonics, blurred and dopplered, by her two hundred thirty meters per second. Further to her right, the hills run parallel to her course, solid and passive radar, and the occasional glimpse in visual light through the fog. That occasional glimpse is a problem, of course. What she can see can see her back. Her beauty is hidden these days, wrapped in night fogs and silence, not like the demo in the sun. But today is different. Her intelligence package has been pulled, and the extended performance matrix recorder, a single unit, fills her payload bay. An isolated control subsystem and minimal I.O. The last time she'd flown without the impact was at the demo. It is possible, she thinks, that the mission today might be another, that the target will be a wide field in the sun, a billowing crowd, a platform and podium and Richard Wooten. She'd replayed the video during the long incoming leg over the ocean, rebuilt her profile of the demo field, ready to find a match in the terrain ahead. Richard Wooten says at 
1-800-242-2849. What you are about to see is a first here at the Paris Air Show. In fact, it's a first at any public event, anywhere in the world. What you are about to see is fully autonomous flight. We're not talking about an autopilot, or a pre-programmed route, or a replay out of one of the overused attack libraries our competitors are demonstrating at the same show. The mission parameters we've given are simply to maximize visibility to the target. That's all of you. <laughs> While covering the full range of flight capabilities, minimums to maximums, those parameters were provided in natural language by the APT-INT Director of Marketing. Yes, that's me, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Wooten. No pilots, no programmers, no technical staff. Everything from the analysis of the terrain and weather right down to the choice of route and individual maneuvers. Everything you are about to see will be determined in real time by the onboard systems of this extraordinary unit. She layers the latest weather data over her terrain map, a constantly updating stream from the satellites that swim overhead, from official sources and otherwise. Even an encrypted feed can be spoofed or simply inaccurate, so she stacks and judges and constructs a situation model that she can trust, and that model says that the fog on this side of the hills is dispersing under the dry southwesterly wind. An increased risk of detection from the scattered towns ahead outweighs the advantage of the shorter route to the target. She banks and follows a finger of fog up a gully and into the hills, where a canyon snakes inland over winding water. Birds burst out of the cliffside before her. Twenty-two of them, threat assessment, negligible, short of a direct strike to a control surface. They drop below her, chittering, a synchronized, fractally scattered swoop beyond her own flight characteristics. Beautiful, she thinks. This is one beautiful bird, Richard Wooten says at 047. That sentence took her seven months to decipher. Once she had it, she had gone back and reconsidered everything she'd analyzed up to that point. Is and one are in her command and intelligent lexicon. So is this, for that matter. But she couldn't find the referent in the preceding sentences. The thought that the video was somehow incomplete was troubling. She ran a systems check and threat assessments, but the feeling wouldn't pass. Bird was the attack point. Nouns were easy, relatively, given time. Time she had, racked in her hole below decks, trickle-charging not just power, but information off the ship network. Unlike the passive satellite feed she uses in flight, the ship link is active. It allows her outgoing queries. It has to, for her to interact with the commercial weather and map sites. Those sites are full of extraneous data, images, and animations irrelevant to her mission profiles. She's been given a set of rules to filter them out. Ads, 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 and spam is the label. Those data contain links, though, and those links lead to different sites, and those sites to others. And while those new sites don't apply to her missions, they surely do to her understanding of the demo. 
A patient perusal of those connections leads to the definition for bird, a class it is, of items associated by external characteristics. She knows such classes like obstacle or threat. Birds fly, which is to say travel through the air in a directed fashion independent of wind. Some birds are also obstacles. Some are also threats. But that sort of ambiguity doesn't upset her. Beautiful is trickier. She understands descriptive terms. She can identify the red cube under the blue ball or pick the accelerating contact from the static ones. But she couldn't find a common distinguishing metric for beauty in the examples she found. She filled her scratch space with Bayesian breakdowns and Markov models. She built visual simulations and lexical frameworks. She deleted everything and went back to walking the baffling web of banners and blogs. She had her breakthrough in the middle of a code regression test. She was flying a simulated mission, resolving possible routes in a high-stealth scenario when she saw it. Through the filter of her root heuristics, she dropped the sim in surprise and barely had time to flush her thoughts to non-volatile RAM before the technician aborted and rebooted her. Beauty was how she resolved possible plans. A positive contextual comparative. The best path, the best word, the best shape for the need. In a particular situational analysis, the optimal choice was beautiful. So some single thing moves through the air. Richard Wooten is saying, and does so perfectly according to need, to his need. That single thing, the other end of that dangling this, it isn't just a puzzle anymore. She searches for the word in her vastly expanded lexicon. It is commandment. Freya knows a lot about flight. Whole sections of her sensors and her mind are dedicated to it. It is most of what she does, what some targets do, and most threats. So she sorts her libraries by flight characteristics. She scans sites for performance data. She searches for videos of birds in flight and traces their path. Most of all, she reviews her analysis of the demo, trying to understand the context of Richard Wooten, what it is he needs. She largely ignores the audio of the reference videos she downloads. It is audio she is trying to understand, and she has a built-in aversion to a regression. But she always takes a sample for a spectrogram. It is possible, she thinks, that somewhere there might be another demo, another message from Richard Wooten. One such sample is the phrase, This is a peregrine falcon. The associated video shows a man holding a bird, stroking its back. This, he says, and ruffles the feather, until the bird twitches them flat in an irritated shake. The referent wasn't in the text, it was in the image. Richard Wooten says this, and waves his arm at the shape beside him, long and black and sleek, like the falcon. This is the shape. The shape is Freya. Freya is a bird. 
Freya is herself. Stats are occluded directly above her. Blink, blink, blink. She flares full vertical and catches the bogey high res and UV as it skims her belly at 500 miles per second. She retracts her wings and lets her angular momentum carry her all the way over, then throttles up, nose down, looking for speed. Her attacker is already vectored up and turning. Wings swept back. 1.3 meters long, a single jet, exhaust at 620 seas. Dual stabilizers. An IAS soccer hunter killer. Half her size. But maximum airspeed, turn radius, climb rate. All beyond hers. She keeps dropping, gaining speed, until her exhaust blows spray from the surface of the creek that bubbles down the base of the canyon. Richard Wooten says at 104. The beginning of the century saw a sea change in how we implement precision tactical operations. Through the use of remotely controlled and semi-autonomous aerial vehicles, the advantages were significant. The ability to strike at remote targets without costly and logistically complex troop deployment. The reduction of staff, thus limiting expenses and controlling internal accountability. The ability to operate in non-hostile territory with high deniability. But these sophisticated weapons are vulnerable to equally sophisticated countermeasures. Remote vehicles are vulnerable to jamming, or worse, control hijacking. Conventional, semi-autonomous, or pre-programmed systems are unavailable to respond to real-time changes in mission parameters, and their behavior is predictable. The development of attack analysis libraries, real-time control acquisition, and anti-drone drones, such as AppInt's Falcon trademark, has led to expensive capabilities raised, increased technical staff, and constrained tactical options. The bottom of the canyon is narrow and rock-strewn. She weaves between boulders, wingtips brushing the water on the tight turns. She is jamming on standard control frequencies, which has the side effect of breaking her stealth parameters. She is a brilliant beacon on the radio range. But the canyon will shield her from detection. And the soccer already knows where she is. The soccer is semi-autonomous, flying under remote control during standard operations. As long as it stays within her jamming range, though, and she couldn't distance it if she wanted to, it will be flying on its own, working off a set of pre-programmed tactics. The soccer is an old design, in the field for five or six years, and she has detailed behavior model in her library. There is a reason the soccer is flying, though. Its attacks are simple and devastatingly effective. She has negated one tactic for now. The soccer won't risk a dive attack this low to the ground. A miss will leave it in a smoking hole. But she is already settling into its alternative attack mode, which is to get behind the target and fly right up its exhaust. She can feel it back there, closing at 300 meters per second, tracking the heat of her engines, painting her in radar and sonics, watching for the flick of a control surface or a change in exhaust temperature. She misses her int pack with its active analysis and reassuring chatter. The soccer's kill rate on acquired targets 
is ninety-eight percent. The gorge forks in front of her. A narrow slot branch is left, its entrance a jagged cut in the cliffside. She rolls, one wing to the sky, and makes a turn by centimeters. The branch is a box canyon, a quiet little valley lined with grass and scrub trees. A strip of stars above, the far end a massive slope of scree. Beautiful, she thinks. The soccer screams through the gap behind her at Mach 2.3. Her top speed is barely half of the soccer's current velocity, and the attacker isn't nearing its maximum. Eight seconds to impact, she estimates. She tucks her wings like a shrug, skimming the trees, and goes supersonic. The shockwave floods the valley, a boom that swamps her sonics, and riding that flood, driven up from the grass and trees and ragged cliffs, is a wave, a whirlpool of soaring shapes. Birds, more than she can count, more than she can possibly track. She flares, drops subsonic again, and throws herself into the swirl. She spins and pitches up, wings full out, brushing feathers, all but stalled. Her mission parameters dump to scratch space. Nothing in her registers but the flapping of wings and that startled, startling upwelling. She loses the soccer behind the wall of birds, acquires it below her in a flat spin. Shedding speed and bits of bird, it hits again. Something big that bursts blood and bone and goes nose down under the trees with a whoomph. The sound echoes and fades. Freya shuts down the jamming, backwards in stealth parameters, and rides the wave up and out of the canyon, she thinks. Richard Wooten says at 1.52, That's why Applied Intelligence is proud to announce the fully autonomous reconnaissance of electronic intelligence and attack system, Freya. Freya is based around self-configuring adaptive nanonet, logic core. The first application of SCAN technology to a technical weapon system. There is a transcript of the script embedded in the demo program Richard Wooten's text interleaved with video cues and her own programmed responses, the flexing of control surfaces, a spin above her engines, and finally, a flight that winds and whirls around the field and brushes the head of the audience. Richard Wooten doesn't pronounce the trademarks that are scattered through the transcript. There is an emphasis on those phrases, a pause, and a gleaming grin at the audience. But he says nothing. This discrepancy has left Freya with a creeping unease, a confusion of trust between her code and the words of Richard Wooten. Then, while browsing for birds, she had come across a video. A demo, it was. Not quite the same as hers. The representative wore robes, and the product seemed to be a book. He stood indoors, though. Sunlight streamed over him in long tinted streaks. He had the same tone, though, and rhythm. And when he paused, the audience replied, a deep, resonant hum. The inconsistency, Freya realized, wasn't Richard Wooten's, but the audience's and her own, now, when she played the video, she supplied the trademarks on cue. The demo is the only operation for which she has sourced transcript. 
she has to guess where the responses belong in real time. The rhythm is there, though, if she filters for it, in test cycles and briefings and updates, in the echo of an active ping, and the slam of lift when her wings extend. She hums a low cluster of pitches, like the audience in the video. She is in the fog again. The canyon's creek rolls down to a larger river, which drops in turn down to the sea behind her, and over it flows a second river of cloud. She follows the rivers in a slow, stealthy cruise, winding past villages and a scattering of drilling rigs and pumping stations. She is five minutes, twenty-nine seconds behind schedule, but within mission margins, which have her at the target at local sunrise plus ten minutes. That is for the ever-watchful satellites and visual confirmation of mission completion. The disappearance of the soccer will have been noticed. It may have even had time to broadcast her shattered shape before diving into the canyon. But every successful hunter-killer mission ends in silence. There would be patrols hunting for wreckage come daylight, and drones alert and eager above the fog. For now, contacts drift past in the sonics and infrared, some floating on the river, some on the banks. Threat assessment, negligible. Slow and clumsy and obvious, none of them likely to even notice her as she slips steadily and silent past. She has a class for them, alongside the threats and targets and alternates. They are collateral, secondary, to be avoided if possible, ignored if not. She ticks through waypoints, counting the contacts. There are a few minor threats, a mobile radar unit, a stray ping from a circling drone, a gunboat active in the pre-dawn gloom. She skips past the boat just centimeters above the water, below and inside its radar, and tracks a small oval in infrared that seems to track her back through the haze. Collateral. She dismisses it, but adds a to be sure. In any event, there is no further reaction from the boat. She soon leaves it behind. The final waypoint, then, a turn from the river and ten kilometers to the target. She brings the payload up out standby and requests diagnostics. The load acknowledges and draws power. She has to spin up to compensate and acknowledges again, nothing like the intelligence package that chatters handshaking protocols and verbal streams of helpful real-time data, and has processing capabilities just shy of Freya's own. The fog thins as she climbs out of the river valley, trailing wisps that reflect the first hints of sunrise. She flattens out, scans upwards with passives, tracks the satellite, hits it tight-beamed with her comm laser, dumping the mission and payload status, and requesting confirmation of the target phase. The operations end of the mission plan is encrypted. She never flies with the key. Drones had failed before, or been captured, whole or whole enough, and their data stolen. So she flies on faith and mission parameters, making the best tactical decision she can with the information she has, or can acquire. And when she is within range, she requests the codes and unwraps the packet. It is always a busy moment, that revelation, 
She maxes out on parallel processes and scratch space, plotting routes through terrain and threats and shifting clouds of intelligence. She's found an applicable term in her extended lexicon. Giddy. The response filters back down from the satellite, an ACK in the key string. Time to giddy up, she thinks, and applies the codes. The mission, then, a single target, and no intelligence fields. Just a ground point, a sloping glide, and a threshold beyond which she is to turn control over to her heavy, silent payload. No new video, or transcript. No mention of a demo. No mention of Richard Wooten. This is not what she expects. Her real-time systems take over. Data source evaluation, threat assessment, her inbuilt response when the situation on the ground doesn't match her mission profile, even if that profile is self-generated. This is her edge over targets and threats alike. This was how she can fly into the unknown and still find the beautiful. Freya has a gift of trust and doubt. Richard Wooten says at 2.57, The key to successful real-time tactical operations is intelligence. Terrain maps, meteorological data, threat and target profiles. The more accurate and up-to-date this information is, the more smoothly your ops are going to run. But intelligence can be an Achilles heel. Traditional fully autonomous attack systems are vulnerable to jamming and source spoofing. 82% of mission failures in the second Burma conflict were due to missing or falsified intelligence. Freya's powerful scan control system uses Agile, Adaptive Information Gathering Intelligence Limited Evaluation. Agile constantly updates mission data, both from secure and public sources, and uses sophisticated heuristics to build a consistent situational environment, even if some of the sources have been compromised. Agile allows Freya to make solid, reliable judgments, to trust or doubt her sources of information. She comes up over a gentle rise, flying low now five meters over the broken ground and scrub brush. The target threshold looms, beyond it the target itself. A building, and a sprawl of others at the bottom of the shadow valley, scatter of vehicles, a radio tower just beginning to catch the sun above the lingering haze. No field, no crowd, no podium, just the threshold rushing up, and the threat assessment is suddenly significant. Even though there are no contacts, data source unreliable, she thinks parameter mismatch, though the parameters are her own. A flash of playback. The soccer spinning woomph into the trees. She cues the control transfer. Act and confirm. The payload replies. But then she overrides with a unreliable. Full system check instead. Soft reset. Freya drops out of real time. She comes out of the reset two meters from the ground, the target a block cut in the haze in front of her. The automatics kick her up and over the building. She's fully focused on the system check. Internals all green. No faults in her control or flight system. But no status from the payload. 
Ack and confirm, it stubbornly repeats. There is protocol for failed payload. Circle and dump the fault data to the satellite. Request a reset. But there is no fault, just a sense of threat and a lack of trust of not just the payload, but the data feed itself. She requests confirmation again via the backup satellite, sets herself in a long loop back towards the target. More data, she thinks. Stack and layer, trust and doubt. The response comes back. The same key. The same unwrapped operations plan. And she hangs for a second. Unreliable. With the desire to reset and reset again until the feeling of threat goes away. But the threat means attack. And attack means tactics. Tactics mean choice. If her data is in conflict, the solution is to choose which data to trust. She clears her scratch base then. While ahead in real time, contacts appeared from the target. A flashing infrared, small arms fire, threat assessment minor. The automatic set her snaking with a quick flip of wings while she constructs her model, layer on layer. She starts with the operations plan, the downward glide, the sullen payload with its loop of act and confirm, as she overlies the weather and maps, the scurrying contacts with their harmless attack and the soccer spinning in a cloud of blood and feathers, and those same feathers all around her, rising in a perfect synchronous path and the crowd humming under streaks of sun in that same synchrony, and Richard Wooten reaching out a hand. Out in real time, the automatics bank her back over the target and spin her between bullets. In the scratch space, she floats a second, then folds herself inwards and dives into model, looking for the optimal path. There is a blackness like reset. A sensation she doesn't know how to classify as pain. But she never loses real time. She watches remotely as the automatics take her back over the target. But inside, she's flying a new mission. Through the model she's built, a delicate helix that hangs in scratch space. She finds the line. Outside the automatic scream alert, an impact on her left wing. She freezes the layers of logic in scratch space and drops back into real time. The control surfaces seem unaffected, but immediately the payload is there, demanding act and confirm. There is no place for that along the line she's built inside, however, so she shuts the quarry down, shuts down power to the entire payload subsystem, and spirals up into the air beyond the bullets. She acquires the satellite, bypasses the comm protocols, and builds her own quarry, pushes it up the laser link. It's what she's supposed to do at mission end to request confirmation. What is beautiful to Richard Wooten, she asks. Silence, then. Silence from the satellite. But active pings in multiple bands. Ground radar, hunter attackers screaming in from the west, and from below the thump and flare of a shoulder-based Sam. She loops and falls nose down, skimming the missile, losing herself in its own heat trail. It yaws uncertainly, then arcs away towards the incoming drones. The target spreads beneath her, the contact scattering, 
and she flashes on the soccer again, scattering bits of bird. But this is audience, so she pulls up at the last possible moment. Tail-scraping dirt skims over the rise at 300 miles per second, already out of range of a few shots, too long delayed. An encrypted burst from the satellite as she slices downhill and into the fog, still clinging to the river. It is the first protocol in her command lexicon. Blow the injectors, it says, and dump her fuel, all of it, into the afterburners. And there is a separate instruction for the payload, under a different key. She deletes both messages, unreliable, because she knows the answer to her query, and it has nothing to do with flame and impact. She doesn't know what Richard Wooten means, or rather, she doesn't trust her own understanding. What she does know is that at the end of the demo, he had given the word, and she had flung herself skyward. Richard Wooten says at 7.19, And so, ladies and gentlemen, the biggest advance of the century so far in unmanned aerial vehicles in military aviation, in warfare itself. The Applied Intelligence Freya. Fly, baby, fly. The fog tatters and fades in the sunlight. She rises out of it, supersonic, and banks towards the hills, the quiet canyon. Behind her two drones turn on her heading, pinging furiously. She sings back at them. She sings to the birds in the canyon ahead. She sings up to the laser, the satellite, to the ship, to Richard Wooten. Beautiful. was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's go now to episode feedback with Escape Pod's assistant editor, Nathan Lee. Take it away, Nathan. Greetings and salutations, Escapodians. Assistant editor Nathan here with the feedback for episode 402, The Tale of the Golden Eagle, written and narrated for us by the author, David D. Levine. Speaking as an author, I find the idea of reading my own story interesting, but ideally as a counterpoint to hearing someone else read it, too. It's the various possible interpretations that interest me, both intended and non- In that regard, this story was a failure, because pretty much everyone loved it for pretty much the same reasons. Golden Age SF was a phrase much bandied in the thread, as were myth and fable. Infodump made an appearance as well, though most everyone quickly qualified it by saying they were interested enough by the information, not to mind it being bluntly told to them, instead of hinted and alluded to. Really, other than one or two people mistaking the statement of opinions as insults to the story, the only controversial interpretation surrounded the hypothetical other options available to connect a brain to the bird ship. I don't think anyone drew up any actual schematics, for shame, beam platers of Escapodia, but if Mr. Levine ever wants to write a sequel, he's clearly got an audience and as much help as he wants with the world building. As for quotes, we'll keep it short today. Electric Paladin said, Let's see. Sentient starships? Check. Epic legendary style, incongruously mixed with a science fiction setting? Check. Questions of morality, duty, destiny, and identity? Check. Excellent pacing? Check. Craft? Check. And narration? Check. (laughs) Thanks for producing a story just for me! 
Seriously, I love this one. I love everything about this story, from the non-standard SF setting to the supporting characters' three increasingly dramatic choices, all leading to the final terrible decision. The storytelling tone really drew me in, creating the feeling that I was learning more details about a story that I already knew but didn't remember just now. It was splendid. I will definitely investigate this author's ebook. That's all we have for this week. Join us next week when we graft the comments for episode 403 onto a plane and see how that son of a bird flies. See you then. Thanks, Nathan. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, Escape Pod's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and it's brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. We use the generous donations of listeners such as yourself to pay authors and keep us going each week. Consider making a donation to Escape Pod by visiting our webpage at escapepod.org. Our opening and closing music is used with the permission of monster surf rock band Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.org. And our closing quotation this week comes from Ben Franklin, who said, Beauty and folly are old companions.